What's going on, everybody? This is Jade Coral, and you're listening to the Aimless Cook Podcast. Today's episode is another Freestyle Friday. It's been, <clears throat> it's just after the holidays. And I just recovered from a back-to-back cold and flu that I've had for like the last two weeks. And it's just been going around from work. So I've been home. I've been spending a lot of time just doing nothing because I couldn't really, I couldn't really record. I had one episode that we did the solo dining that i uploaded and that was the only one i kind of had banked and after that i missed a couple weeks there so that's what's been happening other than that of course christmas was the big thing and i did write a little thing on christmas and let's take you there right now seems to stand still Usually for us, it's a time when all the in-laws and relatives are still in town, just hanging about the house, grazing on leftover turkey, and wondering how we're going to fit that giant garbage bag of wrapping paper in the trash bin with the rest of the regular trash. My father-in-law is usually lounging on the couch with Momo, one of our Frenchies, watching the news with the volume turned up for the entire house to hear. Since the kids are notorious at sleeping in, the demand for the bathroom won't begin till about 11. The living room is a maze with precariously piled, unwrapped gifts from the day before that one has to carefully navigate around before finding a spot to sit. Usually it's at this point where I'm pretty much ready for the world to go back to normal. But this year that didn't happen. Everyone stayed in their respective hometowns and had a laid-back Christmas at home. I wouldn't blame them since all of my wife's family lives up north, and being home again after a summer of being stuck in hotels would be the best feeling ever, especially after the constant dread of wondering if your town would still be standing after half the territories in BC burned. But we all managed to connect thanks to the wonders of FaceTime, one-day shipping, and the assortment of holiday posts, dances, and memes. The living room wasn't piled with everyone's presence, the television wasn't blasting the news from Edmonton, and the house wasn't filled with turkey grazers and half-dead, freshly risen teenagers at noon. That doesn't mean it wasn't a great holiday. In fact, every few years, this is exactly what happens, and it's just what we need. It's a recharge of sorts that gives us the opportunity to have some quiet time together. One of the things we also don't have to worry about when there's no influx of family around is cook a huge dinner. So that means we usually enjoy one of our family traditions. Christmas dinner in Chinatown at Great Taste. Great Taste has been our favorite family-style Chinese restaurant of choice forever. In my generation, my parents always loved House of Chan or Ruby Restaurant, both of which are long gone now. But I'll always remember all of the details that made it special. We didn't have a lot of money when I was growing up, so eating out was always a special affair and always Chinese food. Since it was the late 70s and early 80s, everything was usually brightly colored, sweet, glossy, and came with that same fried rice with peas and carrots that was stained so dark with soy sauce. And don't forget the wonton soup. I loved wonton soup. Frilly dumplings in that powder-based soup base with a few scallions tossed in. Nostalgia. 
Back then, we didn't enjoy the cuisine that represented the regionality that foodies are so adamant to write about in Facebook group posts, criticizing its authenticity or some other detail like an omitted spice or technique that would make it like the one they had on their vacation in Chengdu. All I can say is every restaurant today that has the luxury of showcasing their cuisine or culture to an enraptured diner can owe that ability to create and express themselves to the generations of restauranters before that didn't have the choice but to make Chinese food cater to a Western palate, often with local ingredients, for the sole purpose of making a living in a new country. That being said, I still have a place in my heart for the glossy Western stuff. Who doesn't? The bright red sweet and sour pork with chunks of pineapple, or the crispy salt and pepper squid in that nest of chilies and bell pepper strips. But these days, we love to mix it up with some Chongqing-style spare ribs, xiaolongbao, salted egg tofu, or shrimp, or a huge plate of garlic gailan. 1978 dad would never consider spending money on a plate of veg if we were at Ruby Restaurant. Save that stomach space for more lemon chicken would be the mantra. This year, since it was just the three of us, we invited my kitchen manager and his family to come out as well. He has a young family, chock full of toddlers and a new baby, which reminded us of early times in that very same restaurant. All our favorite dishes are still there, so it makes for a very easy ordering experience. We got our ribs, our xiaolongbao, pan-fried pork dumplings, a fried rice and a steamed rice, salt and pepper squid, a whole sweet and sour fried cod, Gailan, salted egg yolk tofu, and salted egg yolk shrimp, the glossy sweet and sour pork, a cold poached chicken, a tea smoked duck. Man, it was a glorious spread. No cooking, no pile of dishes, no watching timers, no problem. I would say that was a triumphant dinner with a few new friends and family. We had a great time talking about raising young kids, the journey of marriage, and compared my Filipino-Canadian experience to the Filipino-Filipino experience. The food brought us together, and isn't that the best part of any holiday? I had an amazing year, full of ups and downs. I'm sure I'll write more about it as we approach the end of 2023, and I get ready to write my New Year post. So thank you very much. This has been a great year. Thank you for supporting this podcast. Thank you for coming out to the restaurant. And thank you for buying merch. Hope you all had an amazing holiday, and I wish you the best. So, checking on this week on Facebook, some of the most commented posts from the foodie group was, one interesting one was, YYC restaurants that are long gone, but not forgotten. And there was a lot of interesting ones here, some from really old, back in the day, one of which I... <laughs> and some that were just kind of more recent. And I'm going to share some of them with you right now. Uh, so the first one I talked about was Tiki Tiki. This one was, it, op it was around in the early 80s. It opened in 1974. And it was on 8th Ave, 718 8th Ave Southwest to be exact, next to Holiday Inn at the time. And it was a tiki lounge restaurant and it was like everything you would imagine a cheesy 70s tiki bar would have like all the kitsch everything that is kind of being refreshed today 
Now, of course, today it's mostly limited to the, the cocktail experience. And I believe there is a Tiki Tiki restaurant that just opened in Edmonton on White Ave. But I don't think it's kind of, it's kind of the same vibe, but more into Polynesian Hawaiian, where this one was more of just like the whole island experience that was so popular in the 70s. And like it had two floors and it was one of three locations at the time. The other one was in Edmonton and in Saskatoon. And like they had everything, like they had the thunderstorms effects and they had a floor show with these Samoan, you know, like a Samoan band, huge froze and uh, tropical shirts and they were singing ladies night and they had, you know, the dancing with the fire and hula and all that stuff. And I remember during those times, they would have all of these, they would have so many um, commercials on television because they had promoted the shit out of it. And all I wanted to do as a kid was go to Tiki Tiki. Always wanted to go. So I wanted to see the, the hula and all of the dancing with the fire and stuff. And yeah, one year I actually got to go. And it was for my best friend's mother's birthday party. We all went there and it was awesome. And I remember, you know, the experience itself with the entertainment and the live music. And like I said, ladies night, you know, remember the song ladies night, right? And having like a big seafood platter. And I remember it was the first time I had a Shirley temple. So they had this menu that would be this huge laminated menu and on it would be all of the pictures of the tiki cocktails and of course you had your mai tais and all that stuff served in the tiki mugs and yeah this was the first time i had a shirley temple and from that time on every re chinese restaurant whenever we went for chinese food would always have a shirley temple on their cocktail menu and i always wanted to get a shirley temple so that was like my drink of choice as a kid until I was probably, what, 12 or 13. So if you go to the other restaurants that are on here, you might remember, or you may not, Chi-Chi's, as you know, was like a Mexican, is it a Mexican or Tex-Mex restaurant that was in the Northeast, in, right next to Sunridge, Sunridge Mall. And they had, you know, your basic enchiladas, rice, that kind of stuff. And one of the things that they were known for was their deep fried ice cream. So what you do is if you'd have a special occasion or whatever, you'd always get the deep fried ice cream. And essentially what it was is was a vanilla ice cream with a kind of a crispy shell, which was rolled in cinnamon and sugar, like a churro. And yeah, that was their trademark dessert. But other than that, that was it was it was good for me because I had lived in Texas. I love Tex-Mex food. And Mexican food, whether you're in Texas, it hits different than stuff you get in California. It's a little bit different. The regional differences between the two are slightly different, but also good. So very, very good. If you were gonna kind of compare between Mexican food in Texas or Mexican food in California, which would you pick? Let me know. If you've been to both places, 
Let me know which one you prefer. The next one was Mother Tucker's. Mother Tucker's was on, oh boy, 10th Ave? Somewhere along where I think it's Thai Sion now. Right by Kraft and The National down there. It was right in there. It was basically a, well, what would it sound like? Mother Tucker's. It's a comfort food, steaks, prime rib, and they had this enormous walk-up salad bar, which you could visit as many times as you'd like to. And this was the time when salad bars were a big thing in restaurants. Like, it was an attraction. And it was also a time when kale was still basically an ornamental uh, addition to salad bars, and they weren't, you know, really part of the salad yet. So that was a long time ago. <laughs> the next one is Fuddruckers. Now, Fuddruckers, if you may know, was this huge place, I think, in Jack Astor's now off of McLeod Trail South. And Fuddruckers was great. I remember this as a teenager in high school because this is one place where they had everything in-house. So they baked their bread. They had the, the beef in that was fresh, was brought in, and they made your burger to order. And you'd go through this huge line that would bring you through the process of getting your order. And then basically what they do is they take your name, they'll call your name after, and you pick up your food. It was good. It was good. I remembered that too. Uh, a couple other ones were like 4th Street Rose. If you remember 4th Street Rose, I don't really remember it a great deal. And Worst. Worst was more of a recent kind of closure that happened. And these are both in Mission on 4th Street. And at the time during the 80s and 90s, 4th Street was much different than it was today. As you can see now, you have a lot of restaurants there that are, you know, high-profile restaurants like Shokunin, Roy's is on 4th Street. Who else is on 4th Street? Man, I can't remember. But at the time, at the time, 4th Street, Earl's ruled 4th Street. It was Tin Palace at the time. I don't know if it's still called that now, but Earl's was the big one there. And of course, there was 4th Street Rose. I believe there was a Moxie's at the time or... What do you call it? Oh my God, what is it called? Denny Andrews? I don't remember if Denny Andrews was there or not. But it was either Moxie's or, I don't know. Anyways, but yeah, Mission was a completely different place back then. And if you look at it now, it's a very big difference. Look, oh, I was thinking of like, yeah, you had Roy's Kitchen there now. You have Shokun in there now, as well as Jinya is there. And a few of the sushi places that have been there for a long time are still there. So, yeah, that was Mission. Uh, let's see. Looking through the comments here. Mongoli Grill. Or Open Sesame. Open Sesame, Mongoli Grill are kind of the same concepts with that Mongolian kind of grill thing. And, you know, it was kind of one of those popular things for a little while. I remember back in the 90s when Mongoli Grill downtown opened. And, you know, we'd go there a few times. Open Sesame was kind of the same kind of concept. It was located in that one on where Smugglers is on McLeod Trail South. And it had a few restaurants in that same building, some of which are still there, like Bolero's. Anyways, I don't really get the appeal of the Mongolian Grill concept. 
Like, I get it. You pick your own stuff. Basically, you pile up all of the things that you want in your bowl, and then you pick a bunch of sauces near the end, and then essentially they just put it all on one flat top and stir-fry it all. And then you just get this giant stir-fry of whatever the hell you put together. And I mean, like, that's it. So I don't know. A lot of people may like that, but I didn't really get why it was so popular. Um, <clears throat> Willie's Hamburgers. Willie's, a lot of people from the day will say that Willie's fries were the best fries. Right up there with CB's. CB's Burgers, if you remember CB's, they're still around, has really good fries. And it's not really to say that it's the fries themselves, but it's the seasoning. And it's essentially basically a seasoning salt that they put on the fries that at the time no one else is really putting because they just put salt. But yeah, Willie's Hamburgers, at the time it was a drive-in. I think the one on, there was one on McLeod that was an actual drive-in, just like the old A&Ws back in the day where you would park your car in a stall and order right from your car and then they'd bring your order out to the car. Those are kind of things that are way back. I date myself when I talk about places like that. I couldn't see that kind of concept being popular now because a lot of people like really value their cars and hanging a, a tray off the side of your car, off your door, essentially is would probably be frowned upon. But back in the day, that was, that was how they do. And one, my, my cousin at the time, she's 11 years older than me. She would talk about going to A&W and you go with a whole bunch of friends so that, you know, they can't keep track of the number of, of people that they're doing, that they're serving. And what they do is they all order the mugs, the glass mugs of root beer. And basically they'd steal one. So then basically over, you know, numerous visits, you kind of build a collection of these stolen glass A&W mugs. Now, of course, you could buy them now, but stealing them at the time when you're young like that was a popular pastime. But yeah, the, the burger drive-in, long gone, but missed so much. Another one was Pho Pasture Saigon. This was the one in Chinatown, and I believe there is a Pho City there now, and it's right next to that super popular banh mi shop that gets the huge lineup every day. And yeah, really good Pho places are hard to find. Well, they're not hard to find, but I mean, once you have your favorites, it's very hard to to venture to other ones to try them. And then when you do and you get disappointed, it's like very sad. And there's a few that I like that are my favorites that I have said on the show, like Pho Rang Dong in Forest Lawn or Pho Uncle Ten. And uh, I don't know, a lot of people like Pho Dabo in, on International Ave on 17th Ave Southeast. Pho Dabo is one of those places that has that spectacle and they have that signature dish and with the big, you know, the beef bones. And I think a lot of it has to do with the spectacle of those dishes. But I think that I really, I'm a purist when it comes to pho. And I love dak biet. And I'm a, you know, I like good broth. Not to say that their broth is not good. It is good. 
And I do like their oxtail. Their oxtail is pretty good at Fodabo. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna like trash Fodabo. I like them. But, you know, for everyday kind of thing, I like to go out for breakfast, you know, once in a while. After I get my hair cut, I'll go to Pho Rangdong. It's awesome. So another one that came up was Cannery Row. Cannery Row was a, how would I say, inspired by, of course, New Orleans, that type of thing. So there was like a seafood, kind of a higher end place that served seafood inspired by the South, New Orleans. And it, w- it wasn't bad. It was good. There was another place at Cannery Row, I think it was upstairs, that had a piano bar and it was a little more high end. And I believe it was off the same owners. And I've been there once as well. I can't really remember. And if you know the name of that place, please let me know because for the life of me, I can't remember it. Of course, a lot of Chinese places have come and gone. One of them being a really cool hole in the wall. This is on Center Street North near where I am now. And it was called Fortune Foods. And Fortune Foods was this small tiny unassuming place run by this kind lady named Vivian Lee who just sold dim sum and she sold dim sum in the freezer she sold it wholesale and she had a few tables maybe six to eight tables where she'd do dim sum and it was like one of my favorite places to go for dim sum because it was like so unassuming you could just walk in there sit down there's no line there's no queue waiting for your table just go in sit down and it was really popular with a lot of businesses that were working in the in the industrial park nearby so my mechanic actually i seen my mechanic there a couple times and yeah her food was awesome and subsequently vivian sold us wholesale wonton for a long time after she closed her shop which is really good. And then, you know, when she stopped doing it, when she finally retired, we didn't sell wonton anymore. It was sad. But she pointed me to some other places in town that do dim sum, one of them being nearby uh, Top Gun Kitchen. So if you, you know, want to buy some frozen dim sum, Top Gun Kitchen. Of course, places like Silver Inn, Golden Inn, Two big institutions recently closed in the past year or so. Silver Inn, of course, with the inventor, creator of the famous ginger beef, which we all know and love here in Calgary. And then Golden Inn. Golden Inn was in the heart of Chinatown. And I had been there a few times, mostly in my 20s. And it's one of those places that had been around for a very long time. And... If you remember like the old school Chinese restaurants when the waiters wore the vests, like the red vests or the bow tie and stuff that you'd see in the old Bruce Lee movies, that was what it was like. And a lot of the restaurants in Chinatown were like that at the time. And yeah, it was really good. They'd have, there's a lot of things that we talk about, a lot of stories from Golden Inn. And there is actually a Tales from Chinatown podcast from my friend Gabriel Yi. And he talks to one of the owners of Golden Inn. And this was shortly before they closed. And I will include a link to that podcast in the in the show notes. So if you want to listen to that 
and hear some really good stories about Golden Inn. Or if you have any of your own, you should check it out. Check it out in the show notes. It's there. Okay, cool. Moving on. Shikiji. Shikiji was awesome. (coughs) Shikiji was near the crossroads of Center Street and 16th Avenue. It was a Japanese restaurant. They had ramen. They had sushi. They had it all. Uh, Essentially, it was run by a family who used to have a Japanese restaurant located in the Banff. And then Shikiji was running for a while here in Calgary, of course, one of the best. And then the son, Koki, eventually started his own shop in Bridgeland called Shikimenya, which is still around today. Another one that was gone that I'm really sorry to see go was Gorilla Whale. Gorilla Whale was right on 9th Avenue in Inglewood and was a kind of modern interpretation of Asian food. They had the yakitori, they had different types of yakitori, including this really delicious one they did with halloumi. And when you grill halloumi, it's just awesome. And they had uh, like the big karage sandwiches and it was just really good food in a really good neighborhood. It was such a good vibe, classic rock and just, it was a cool space. So moving on, we have another one from the past, White Spot. Kind of like a more recent, in more recent years, that one closed. The last one I believe was on... 32nd Ave Northeast. And White Spot, if you come from BC, you probably have a lot of nostalgic thoughts about White Spot. And I'm going to do a nostalgia show, like I've been saying for a while. But nostalgia show, I want to talk about how certain places bring back that nostalgia. And White Spot is a really good example of that because of a lot of people who come from BC who have very fond memories of going to White Spot as a kid. And of course, they can probably tell you the experience with such fondness that it would make you want to go back. A couple more. Bonanza. Now, if you remember Bonanza, I remember this as a teenager. Bonanza was on McLeod Trail South. I'm trying to remember exactly where, but it was around the area, I believe, where the Swiss Chalet was, where the co-op is now. And Bonanza, of course, was the, you go in, you pay one price and you get a steak and sometimes there's a salad bar and all you can eat shrimp, depending on what the special was. But yeah, it was one of those places like Sizzler, if you're in the U.S., and yeah so that one came up last one that came up was reef and beef now reef and beef they were located in the northeast right across from sunridge mall in a strip mall in rundle rundle or pine ridge whatever the side was basically it was like a neighborhood restaurant that did well of course steaks and seafood And I remember this vividly because I went there for lunch a couple times with my colleagues when I was at the post office. But before that, way before that, when I was like 20, we went there for my wedding dinner to my first wife, which was way back in the day. And I remember we all went to Reef and Beef and there was a guy who was doing the video, the wedding video. 
he was a videographer of sorts, but he wasn't really. He just had a camera and and then would just, you know, carry it around and record what was going on. Editing wasn't, you know, a thing. But anyways, yeah, we were at Reef and Beef and I remember having prime rib or something there at that time. So that is so that is like that was a, quite a big list of restaurants long gone but not forgotten. There are a few other ones too like some people have said Red Robin. There was also a lot of pubs and stuff too like Danny Andrews and what else? The Tasmanian Ballroom. I remember the Tasmanian Ballroom from back in the day. What else? Oh. Rose and Crown. Rose and Crown that was a big thing then too. Electric Ave in general was a completely different landscape back in the day than it is now. Because at the time, Electric Ave or 11th Ave was just filled with bars. So if I say a few of these names, you'll probably like recognize them right away. Like Shark Shack, Coconut Joe's, The Sky Room. You remember all those? Yeah, they were all there. And yeah, at the time it was called, also nicknamed Adolescent Ave because a lot of young people would go out there because a lot of the pubs at the time had really cheap drink specials and just people would just go there to get hammered. And it was a part of its downfall as well because there was a lot of of fights and a lot of, you know, shit going down on Electric Ave that they had to crack down. So that was that. So what's new and going on on Instagram and TikTok? Not a lot. There's been a lull kind of lately because of the holidays. But one of them was that someone on TikTok was telling me I have to go to brunch at the Wild on 27. The Wild on 27 is a restaurant located in an office building on the 27th floor downtown. You know what? I hate brunch so much. I don't like waiting. I shouldn't say I hate brunch. I do like brunch. What I hate is waiting. I don't like waiting for anything, no matter what the hype. When I have to wait, that just totally detracts from the experience. I don't like it. When we went to New Orleans, we wanted to go to, of course, different places. We like to discover new places on our own. One of them we heard about was, of course, Acme, Acme Oyster Depot. And when we went there, there was this enormous line of tourists waiting to go in. And what I did was we looked across the street and there was another place which looked just as good, full of locals, that wasn't as busy. There was no lineup. We can go in and sit down right away. So we did. And you know what? It was the best experience ever. Like, I still don't know what Acme's all about. And I don't care. Because, you know, we had a great time. We had char-grilled oysters. We had local craft brew. It was really good. So, like, I mean, I never am a sucker for hype. I really hate it. But, I don't know, Wild on 27 looks fun. It's expensive. But the brunch looks really good. It's about 95 bucks a person for their buffet brunch. And... I don't know. To be honest with you, that is a lot of money for brunch. But I don't know. If we compare it to like the old days of going to like 
the Fairmont Palliser for their brunch that they had at the time. I don't even think that was 95 bucks. But, you know, the Fairmont had everything that you could think of. Well worth the money. Maybe that's one of the things I miss too, because I think now they have, it's something different now. They have a different brunch, but all of their stuff is a la carte now. Anyways, that's what TikTok is saying. Should I listen? I don't know. Maybe if I do, I'll tell you about it. So moving on, restaurant picks, where I want to go versus where I've just been. A lot of people have been going crazy over Salt and Brick. And Salt and Brick just opened recently. Dave Bohati is the chef. I've known Dave Bohati for a few years. He's been in a lot of spots, a lot of experience. And I first met him when he was doing his thing at Market. And if you remember Market, that was a place right on 17th Ave, which is gone now. So yeah, the work that he's doing at Salt and Brick has been looking really good. And there's been a lot of good things said about it. So I really want to go. And when I do go, I'll let you know. Other one where I have been to lately was Rain Dog Bar. A Rain Dog Bar is located on 9th Ave in Inglewood. Upstairs used to be without papers. And I'm going to go straight to the review. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I was invited to Rain Dog Bar after my friend Bernice showed me this photo of a burger a really good looking burger and at the time i just finished the review i did on billy smash burgers and i was kind of on a yyc burger roundup of sorts as i've been posting a lot of burgers from around the city on facebook and wherever people want to read my stuff and a lot of people have been talking about you got to go visit Class Clown. And I think that's the last place I'm going to visit as I've been looking at all of these other great places. And I have a list of already ones that I already love. But I got this picture of the burger at Rain Dog Bar from my friend Bernice from Dish in the Kitchen. I'll have her on the show one day. And there was no question when I saw this picture that I had to go and try one. So... I had the expectations that on trying that burger, you know, I thought I would be thoroughly impressed and I'd write something along the, along the lines of, you know, wow, I was thoroughly impressed by the way this burger was put together with all the care of the ingredients and the techniques and the blah, 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 delivers on the promises. Yes, done. Move on to the next spot. But no, I'm sitting at the bar with our friends as we wait for a table in this cozy space that reeks of 80s grandma nostalgia. And that, you know, that's a good thing, a good grandma. And <laughs> I begin to leaf through the menu like it looks like a zine from back in the day. And if you remember what a zine was, it's like in photocopied magazines that people would put together with the, you know, pictures that don't look clear and the offset text and so far the vibe here is flirting with my emotions in a good way as it doesn't send off that manufactured hipster essence that so many restaurants seem to want to mass produce so after ordering a drink i look more at the menu and realize that this is no mere bar with a burger as i begin to contemplate the things that i want to eat from this menu in addition to that burger i also realize that this is not going to be a burger review so, Rain Dog Bar, 
whose namesake is an homage to the Tom Waits album from 1985, is a casual neighborhood bar in Inglewood, like I said, right on 9th, with a vast and eclectic beer and wine menu curated by the owner, Bill, who is, coincidentally, Alberta's first certified Cicerone. If you don't know what a Cicerone is, it's the beer equivalent of a sommelier. Located right on 9th Avenue, the old without paper space, its entrance leads you up a narrow staircase that opens up into a welcoming embrace of a thrift store chic bathed in the glow of warm lights. And on the long wall of banquettes, there's a portrait of Alan Alda's iconic MASH character, Hawkeye Pierce, in the center, surveying the room. The menu is a collection of the small shareable plates that you'd typically see at a gastropub, and they reflect Canadiana through a European lens, serving as a perfect complement to the selection of beer and wine that is available on their list. So we started with Malpec oysters on the half shell, and there's nothing more to say about these briny bites. They're complete with a house-made hot sauce, mignonette, and shredded horseradish, served on a bed of chilled bottle caps. The plating is quite creative and kind of clever. I also got the Rosti, which was a lightly modern interpretation with good textural variety with notes of smokiness, brine, dill, and savory. Its duality is represented by a crispy, well-executed duck fat potato rosti base topped with a light and creamy cod mousse finished with sprigs of fresh dill and jewels of trout roe. The pretzels are fresh, slightly crisp, and fluffy sticks of salted bliss. The brassica mustard is a wonderful complement to the doughy comfort, and when enveloped with the beer cheese, it's complete. Smoked ham croquettes are a balanced package of all the wonderful things that you love about potatoes. A crispy exterior gives way to a creamy potato filling enhanced with smokiness and savory notes, rewarding each bite with rich and meaty morsels of smoked ham. And then, here we are, the burger. At this point, it's a classic smash burger, reminiscent of my recent experience at Roy O's Billy's pop-up. It's two smash patties, Martin's potato roll again, pickles, onions, shreddus, and special sauce. And this is a perfect example of when you take similar components and give them the same level of technique and skill to deliver a product. It was delicious. But of course, comes comparisons. If you were going to compare the two as burger experiences, I would probably put Billy's on the top because of course, Billy's has all of the things that make a burger experience a burger experience, like fries for one thing, messy hot dogs, cheese skirts, all of the things that you would come to expect if you want to order a burger as a meal. Now, like I said, the burger here at Rain Dog is also very good, but it is a burger in, you know, that is part of this pub menu or gastro pub menu, which has a lot of these other really great things that the burger is just like a part of one of the offerings and there's no fries. It's standalone. So right there, and like I said, at the beginning of this review, it wasn't, wasn't going to be about a burger that I realized. So Though there are bars that make good, even great burgers, I simply can't ignore the fact that I had this amazing selection of creative and tasty dishes while we were hanging out with our friends, waiting for our table, and just having a great time. 
And shouldn't that be the point of any good concept? Create a nice space where you can hang out and be comfortable with your pals, eat good food, drink really good selection of craft beer. And it's a great spot that represents the neighborhood as well with that specific kind of vibe that you can only experience in Inglewood, like Highline Brewing down the street or the Swans. I don't know what it's called now. Dirty Duck or Gorilla Whale when it was Gorilla Whale. Rest in peace, Gorilla Whale. It just reminds me of all of those good times that I like to have in Inglewood, be it after a long day at Crossroads Market or after late night catering events, where all I want to do is just go somewhere, drink, eat something delicious to satiate my empty stomach. So yeah, that was it. Rain Dog Bar, come for the burger, stay for the drinks, and eat everything. That's my review. So that's it for today's show. I want to, first of all, thank you, my listeners, for supporting and listening to this podcast. And I want to thank you especially for all of the great clips that you've been sending me for the Dim Sum episode that is coming up. You have some great memories, and I want to share some of my own memories when the episode drops, but First of all, I just want to say thank you very much for giving them to me and sharing them with me. I love to put these on the show. And I just like to hear what you guys think and how food and nostalgia and memories affect you. So that's it. So, of course, if you like this podcast, let me know in the comments. Let me know via email. You can reach me at j at theaimlesscookpodcast.com. As well, you can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram at theaimlesscook. We have a lot of great stuff planned, and I look forward to talking to you guys again very soon. So thank you very much for listening. My name is Jade Alcoro, and this is the Aimless Cook Podcast. Peace. Mm-hmm.